Hello there, children. This is Baron Vaughn, and welcome to Deep Shit. For those of you who are just listening for the first time, and uh, people who have been listening for a long time, the song you just heard is the original, original theme song to Deep Shit that I wrote when I was bored on the iPad GarageBand app. Now, it's not musically sophisticated, but it sounds like a weird kind of 80s public access show theme song, which is what I was going for. So enjoy that, or I hope you enjoyed that. It's already happened. It stopped now. If I'm talking, the song has already stopped. So now it's just me and my voice and the void. That's all you're hearing right now is my voice coming out of the void of your headphones or your car speakers or your Bluetooth stereo device. Whatever's happening, that's what's happening. Um, guys, I feel pretty good today. Uh, I did something that was out of my comfort zone tonight. I went to an animation event because a person that I barely know that I like invited me, and I was like, hey, there'll be some other people that I barely know that maybe I'll like. And uh, then I went and watched a lot of animated stuff and hung out with uh, three cool people who were really nice, one of which was James Urbaniak who you might know uh, as the voice of Dr. Venture on the Venture Brothers. Or um, he also played uh, Rob Crumb in the movie American Splendor. Uh, stuff like that. He's a cool guy. He was super nice to me and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, I feel really good. Even though I, some of you, if you've been listening to this podcast, may have been uh, keeping track of <laughs> keeping track it's not even keeping track. I just can't shut the fuck up about it, about this financial bullshit that I've been going through. Um, and you know what? I say bullshit with the grain of salt because I'm the bull that shit these problems. <laughs> I am the bull that shit this bullshit. Anyway, guys. So I got sued by Boston University, my alma mater. Which, by the way, if you want to listen to Greg Fitzsimmons' Fitz Dog Radio podcast, I talk about this at length with... A bit of shame and embarrassment, and the more I think about how much I talked to Greg about, the more I'm embarrassed. But I'm also embarrassed by what seems to be my total lack of understanding what the hell is going on and um, hiding. And I say that. That is as a stand-up joke. All this stuff is so overwhelming that my financial strategy has been <gasps> monsters and then i just pull the fucking covers over my head to pretend like they'll go away but they won't go away they sold me the bed they can clearly see my body shape in a bed that that i owe them for they're like you have to get out of that bed we're taking that bed back anyway guys i um got sued for $5300 by boston university that I found out is just a kind of a systematic thing that they've been doing a lot for people who've defaulted on a very specific student loan, um, which I am one of the people that defaulted on that very specific student loan. So I had a two-week period to contact them before they were to get a default judgment on me. I missed the deadline. Please, guys, please. I couldn't have done this without the help of my insanity. I missed the deadline. Even though I called them back, it's just that like I was running around so much trying to put some money in my pocket that I kept every time I was like, okay, I can call these people now. God damn it, because they're in the East Coast. It's a law firm from Boston. So every time I was ready to call them, it was four o'clock here, seven o'clock them there. They're not there anymore. So I left the message, but that of course was not good enough. Two weeks went by, they got the default judgment. So this fifty three hundred dollar 
uh, suit they have against me is now $7,900. So finally, I called again and got somebody on the phone this time. And they said, well, Baron, you got three options. They didn't say it like that. They said it with better English. You got three options. One, pay in full. Yeah, because I have been sleeping on a pile of cash. And it just happens to be the exact amount that you guys want. Or a payment plan, which would be, who knows, $100 a month, $80 a month, $50 a month for forever months until I've paid $7,900 something something dollars. Or offer a settlement amount. So I chose the third one. And I offered a settlement amount of $5,000. And they said, okay, well, we'll talk to BU and see what they think about that. So BU countered with $6,500. And they're throwing in this other thing that apparently I owe them as well. So they're like, if you give us this money, we'll forgive this loan. And we'll forgive this other thing that you didn't even know you had, bro. And I'm so confused by my financial past that I don't even know who I owe what to anymore or how to find out about any of that stuff. I've tried to get credit reports, but then they ask me weird fucking questions for me to verify that I'm me. And it's shit that I don't know about myself. <laughs> That's what they're asking me. It's shit just kind of like, hey, what's your stepdad's middle name? I'm like, you guys think I talk to him? I don't, I don't know that. And then, and then also it's just like, hey, what is your greatest accomplishment? And I'm like, what? I don't think I've done anything. I don't think I've done anything, Equifax. How can you ask me that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is, I have to give them $1,500 today <laughs> which i can do i luckily got a check but once i give them fifteen hundred dollars i have enough left over for my rent and then i'm out of money again then in two weeks july 15th i have to give them twenty five hundred dollars and august 15th i have to give them twenty five hundred dollars so i guess what i'm trying to say is um does anybody have twenty five hundred dollars they can borrow to me borrow to me they can lend to me i want to borrow $2,500. You know what? It's actually 5000 I need to borrow two trunks of twenty. See, that's how short-sighted I am. I'm not even thinking about the fucking full amount. I'm thinking about the amount I have to pay the soonest. And the other one, I'm not even, like, considering that. I'm just like, I got $2,500. I don't know what I, I need 5000 in general. Anyway, guys, I don't know if I have, like, a donate button <laughs> or anything. Some people have written me and offered donations, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I will take them. I will take them. Uh, I believe I don't even. I, I have. I'm on PayPal somehow, somewhere. I don't exactly know. It's it's if I'm on PayPal, the email that I'm under is uh, bar. I don't even know. I don't even know what email it is. You know what? I'm going to investigate this more and figure it out. And there's a the on the All Things Comedy website. There is a donate button for the PayPal site. I will have that set up by the end of this week. I would say by tonight, but I'm gonna go uh, to bed, so I don't know. But uh, I will have that set up within this week, and I will be able to take donations there. Um, and some of you have written me awesome emails, and I swear I am going to reply to those motherfucking emails. And uh, oh, the other thing is. This 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 uh, podcast traffics mostly in 
the philosophical, right? Because, you know, it's deep shit. And as Mike Kaplan said to me the other day, I'm also in deep shit. So I have a double meaning to this podcast. I traffic in the philosophical, so I would appreciate it if y'all motherfuckers uh, asked me philosophical questions. And then I can bring that up on the podcast and debate it with whomever my guest is. Perhaps I'll have a, a podcast episode uh, dedicated specifically to answering philosophical questions that you motherfuckers send us. Also, if you need any sort of advice that is not financial, <laughs> obviously, I don't know what the fuck is going on there. If you need any sort of advice that is not financial, I'll give it. Who says that it'll be good? But it will be funny. <laughs> it will be. My boss is being a dick. What should I do? Well, pull your pants down at work and make sure to be wearing a skirt made of hot dogs. And then we'll see who has ketchup on their nuts. Um, that makes no sense. I probably wouldn't say that, but uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, guys, this episode is with Cameron Esposito. Um, if you haven't heard Cameron Esposito's podcast, put your hands together. Do that shit. We talk about it a little bit on the podcast, so you can hear more about that uh, then. Uh, and um, also, she recently wrote a uh, blog post that went fucking viral. Dan Savage uh, became aware of it and blew the shit up because uh, Cameron is a woman of gay persuasion. And uh, if any of you have been following the news and you know about this whole DOMA thing... And uh, so it's uh, it's a good it's a good thing for the gays, for the uh, homosexuals out there that uh, want to get married up. And uh, even if they don't want to get married, it's still good because then you have the right to do what it is that you wish to do. That's the bigger point. There's a lot of motherfuckers that don't want to get married, but they would like to to know that they can to be treated as equal citizens. Right. OK. So anyway. She wrote this blog post about it, and uh, it blew up. So uh, go to her website, uh, which is CameronEsposito.com, I think. I don't even know. Why don't you write Cameron Esposito, Esposito into Google? It is spelled correctly in the title of this podcast. Anyway, we sat down and we talked about viewpoints. Uh, well, we, we talked about all sorts of stuff, but we ended up uh, I ended up titling it Viewpoints because we're basically just you know, talking about our perspectives again and uh, on our lives and how that uh, manifests itself in our comedy and, and in our, our how we apply that to our lives. So I'm calling it Viewpoints. Fuck y'all. Also, a note on the twice-a-week podcast posting thing, I still have yet to figure out how to do it. I have been in touch with iTunes, uh, and uh, they've been very confusing with what they, they just told me to tag something that I already, I, they, they told me to do something I already knew to do, but I do not know where to do that. And I was like, should I do it here? And should I do it here? Or where is it that I'm supposed to do that? And their reply was yes. I'm like, what? That's not an answer to the question that I asked. Um, luckily my old producer, Katie Levine is also confused. So she deals with the iTunes people all the time. She's a professional podcast producer. So if she's confused, it means I'm not an idiot in this situation. Hooray for me's. Anyway, here's Cameron. Just for the simple fact that I'm a boss on the track and never really ain't touching me. Just for the way that I rock with the bass and the neck and that's why you all know me. Uh, lyrics born. Yes, indeed. You know, we might make it look easy, but it ain't okay. Walk, baby, I'm here to tell you. Nobody sees.
I get obsessed about what I believe is in my way. This is this is something I've been talking about a lot because I, I, I can identify it, at least. But sometimes, you know, like usually I feel like I can solve a problem once I can pinpoint it and be like, ah, there it is, and here's the root, and I can pull the tree out by the root. Sure. But sometimes what I do is I just go, well, there's a tree. I know there's a tree there, and I don't do anything about it. I can identify it, and that, like, absolves me of the responsibility okay. of fixing it. What do you think – I need, like, a – because I get what you're saying. I mm-hmm. need like a tangible comedy thing to hear more about. Like what's something that you think does have roots that you can knock out? Like some an obstacle that you think is you know, that tangible? I, I, I think I do have the but what will people think bug hmm. every now and then. About material, about choices, about everything? About everything. I'm I'm trying to approach talking about exactly what it is I want to talk about. Um but I feel like I uh sometimes don't exactly know where I I'm so used to entertaining such different viewpoints on a subject that I don't sometimes feel like I know what my viewpoint is on it. Oh, that's interesting. Like, I can see it from all these different ways. I could be like, well, a, a person like this might see it this way. A person like this might see it that way. And I do talk in statements, and yeah. I say, what I think is this. But I always temper it with, but another person might think this. Yeah, true. And you might do, like, a voice or a character or something like that or, like, make a big um, – that. see, okay, I actually uh, don't – so much have that problem but there's an other side of that coin which is uh i am really opinionated and i also feel like i have to kind of carry um because i like really am affected by my minority status in comedy like in terms of being a woman and being a gay woman i feel like that so often i'll be like the only of those two things on a show or of either right so i feel like and i'm not is your favorite introduction, <laughs> you guys ready for a lady? Yeah. Is that your favorite? Yeah. Is that the favorite thing you hear? Yeah, like or, but especially if that was followed up with, but not that kind. <laughs> All right, one of these ones. She's a yeah. ladies lady. Yeah. Um, but I actually do feel like I carry like the... the um, weight. Yeah, the weight of that with me. And it, so I actually feel trapped by like almost wanting to speak for my people, which is like a crazy, yeah. because then that is such a, it's like such a specific viewpoint. And it's always like, yeah, but women don't think like that. You know, especially if like, let's say I'm like two or three comics in on a show Mm -hmm. and I've been listening to like, because there's always a supposition of like, okay, so given that everything, everybody thinks this, you know, like that can happen the, sometimes. The, the generalized in, assumption, like in, all women are, yeah, everyone thinks. Yeah, and instead of just like saying, I think this, sometimes right, if I right. find myself later in the lineup and there's been a lot of like, given that we all think this about, then I feel like I have to almost like go point by point and just be like, well, this joke wasn't true and this person was wrong about it. And that is like the fucking worst because then you're like a nag, you know? And so sometimes I have a hard time trying to figure out how to get my viewpoint out because um because you feel like you have to address all this other stuff. Yeah, like I do, I feel like burdened by the and I feel a similar way. Okay. I mean, except for the fact that I'm a black man. Mm-hmm. So there's this expectation of how I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Because I'm a black man. 
Therefore, I'm going to tell it like it is. Like, I'm going to speak in this particular way. Yeah. I'm going to have this. And it has to do with, as I was saying to Hassan Minaj, because I think I'm, you know, last week, yeah. <laughs> whenever this podcast is uh, in relation to that, that I feel this, that I'm, I'm, I am uh, fighting against all the expectations of what a black comedian is supposed to be. Because there's so much comedy. There's so much uh, it, expectation of the audience. You know, that's what I was saying to him. It's just like, how often are we at shows where people are just like, don't make fun of me. Yeah. Don't you make fun of me. I'm not going to sit in the front. I want to sit in the front. Right. I want to get made fun of. Hey, yeah. don't put this in your act. Exactly. And it's like people just, they're aware that how comedians can be in the 80s when yeah, all yeah, these they, fucking. Yes, right. Exactly. But like I'm just saying that like those expectations still exist. So I feel like I'm constantly fighting against them that I'm fight, fight I'm like. Okay, I didn't. I'm not an urban comic. Yeah, but so that's no, people. You are not. So people uh, will rob me of my race mm. because of the way that I present myself and the way that I speak. They're just like, oh, well, he's not the black that we've all agreed is the only way okay, to be black. I wanted to say two things about this. Number mm-hmm. one, or at, one is a question, one is a statement. Well, maybe I'm going to start with the statement just because of what you were just saying about okay. that '80s comic thing. Just this morning, uh, I was NPR was on while I was making breakfast. And there was like a an intro to the Moth Radio Hour. Oh, uh, okay. That today they decided to put like a bunch of different comics mm. on the show. And I actually don't, uh, I don't love listening to the Moth because I think as a comic, it's actually hard for me to listen to like looser, like stories? story stuff. Like uh-huh. I like storytelling shows, but where it's a comic, I, it's just a when it's a I comic, hear, it bothers you. No, I actually like it when it's a com- I just feel like it's like it's hard for me to be proud of somebody for getting on stage when for so many people I know that's their job. Like I I understand right, that's right. an obstacle a lot of people are facing, but it's just like I always want to be like, yeah, you should have like tightened it up a bit, which is like the biggest asshole evaluation. Can I change it you real quick? Yeah, do it. I I have a friend Greg Wallach. Have you met him? No. At all? He just moved to town. He was a comedian mm. in New York. But now he traffics more in the storyteller world. Yeah. He's a Moth Grand Slam champion. Yes. Um, he used to do a lot of stand-up. But he's a fascinating guy because – and I feel like storytelling is becoming its own version of stand-up. Yes, Like absolutely. there's all these storytelling shows built, like popping up. People yeah. identify themselves as like, oh, you know, I'm a storyteller by night. Right. And stuff like that. So it's like, oh, there's storyteller open mics. And yeah. Like, oh, shit. It's it's its own world out next to comedy. It is. But as you were saying. No, Mom. and you're right. And there are some things I actually like about that. Like I like – there's a show called um, Snap Judgment. Have you heard of Snap Judgment? I have heard of Snap I, Judgment. I like that better than The Moth because it's like a little bit more produced. Maybe what I'm looking for is like actually – professionalism because i know i also like know people that do storytelling for a living as well so again but that's neither here nor there anyway they were talking about this this was the intro they were like they were like comedians are known for telling one-liners but can they put those one-liners away and talk about something real (laughs) and then i love the idea of that yeah and then this then the next thing they said was Mike Birbiglia is a comic, but when we brought him on stage at The Moth, he was able to get into a story, and I actually was like, wait, wait, wait. You are saying that Mike Birbiglia usually tells one-liners? Tells one-liners? That's what you're leading to? This His name is Mike Berzinglia. Yeah, he is... He that dude owns The Moth. Like, he is the... He has figured out so how to make The Moth. When did you listen like, to this? This was just today. Because that makes no sense, because... 
for anyone that's listening to NPR and yeah. the Moth, they fucking know who Mike Absolutely, Birbiglia is. Absolutely, yes. Wow. I know. It was really funny. I like the idea of like a comic showing up for a job. Like they, <laughs> they open a suitcase like, oh, it's just nothing about one-liners here. Yeah. Guess I'm going to have to put but these away. Yeah. <laughs> put these one-liners away. I know. It was killing me. <laughs> that was really making me laugh. Okay. Uh, so um, that was, you said a statement and a Oh, question. so anyway, that was just about 80s comics and like perception of comics being really funny sometimes. Like, right. Mike Birbiglia is pretty much not Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, that's already, we've already yes, established yeah, the difference yeah. there. Um, but also, I was going to ask you, because I don't actually know this about you. Uh-oh. I feel like, I wonder if we talked about this last time, but do you play All Black Rooms? No. Have you ever? Yeah, but not like, I've done it, but like it yeah. wasn't like the thing I had to do. I just wonder what it would what it would be like for you walking out on stage there, because like I've, there's an All Black Club in... Chicago that jokes and notes yeah yeah that like has a great um gal that runs it and so like I've done that room a couple times right um I heard that it's gotten more integrated in the last couple of years I think it has but also when you I guess what I'm saying is like when I go on stage they're still then they're expect like the audience is expecting okay so now this is the white girl you know, yeah, like, there is at least like a differentiation friend, for me. My friend Elon James White is a comedian in New York. Used to say that that like white comic goes up in the black room, they immediately get crazy white boy credit. Yeah, like, exactly. Like oh, oh, she crazy. Yeah, she's here. Yeah, she has showed up. This is right. already risky. Yeah, it, exactly. But like that would be. I was wondering if well, that, if you ever had, had that experience. I I I um. My authenticity is always under investigation. You know, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's I why do I was... have a joke. I say that my blackness is constantly under investigation <laughs> because black people don't know where the hell I'm from based on the way that I act. And not that all black people talk the same, but if you are at a club that is like a black room, mm -hmm. there'll be like a rhythm and a meter to the way that a lot of the comics that are we talking, which is not what you use on stage. If you think of comedy like it's music. Yeah, exactly. You don't you don't go to a country show. Yeah. And expect to hear hip hop. Right. You know, you don't go to a rock show to expect to hear techno. Yeah, genres. It, it's, it's a genre, genre. Yeah. except for, th for us, it's just comedy. Like, it's right. all the fucking same. Yeah. But it ain't. Yeah. Right. So, I have gone up at the Black Room a couple times, but uh, mainly in my youth. Mainly, like, my beginnings in New York. And um, it never went well for me. There was always this, we don't think you're funny and we also think you're a traitor to the race sort of energy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was always intense. this. And you know what? I don't think that everybody thought that, but I could feel that energy. And maybe it's because I'm, I'm really sensitive to it, you know, because yeah. it, it, because, excuse me, surprise, surprise, audience. I love black people. I love, <laughs> I love black people. And I, I want black people to like me. But it has been my history that in general, black people don't care for me. Until they get to know me. Then I said to somebody, my audience, my ideal audience of black people that I think would enjoy me are the kinds of black people that don't go to stand up because they think it's all going to be this one style yeah. that they're not that interested in. Well, I wonder what your thoughts are, because just while we've been talking about this, I've been thinking that it feels like alt rooms are becoming a little bit less white. I mean, I remember that is absolutely even true. like... And I think it's because uh, non-white performers, there are more more non-white performers. So I think that kind of gives the audience permission to mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. like, this isn't just white dudes with beards. This is like, you know, Aziz or like, right. 
or a Kumail or there's like, Indian people, Pakistani yeah. people, Chinese, Japanese, yeah. Korean, Argentinian. And there's there's like a quite a few like black dudes here who in LA who play a lot of like yeah, alt primarily rooms. alt rooms. Yeah, and you know the thing is I, I guess I I always I always gravitated towards where I got booked. Yeah. Now people pursue those alt rooms mm-hmm. as they're the cool spots. <laughs> but I never did that. I just that's those are the people who were booking me, so I kept going there. Well, I guess I mean it feels like I'm actually happy about this now that I'm realizing this. What? It feels like well, it just feels like it's maybe a little bit better in terms of like now it's not some reaction where it's like just white people going in a little space and then being like alternate like i think it's a little bit more open i think it means like youth like alternative comedy now yeah. kind of means like you might be familiar with some type of music like like <laughs> you like know these bands and you've had these t-shirts and you can drink these beers and you go- live in these types of neighborhoods yeah you know it's true not, it's less it's like becoming less color like lines that. yeah you know i remember chelsea peretti saying to me a long long time ago because she was really in the alt scene but then abandoned it for the club scene mm. in new york and and did she I think that's what made her the comic she is now is that she started doing more clubs. And I remember her telling to me telling to me that clubs are just better integrated. She's just like I see more people of color and more women on stage at clubs than I do in alt scenes and alt huh. shows. At that time, I totally agree. Yeah. So it's like we think of like, oh, there's only one woman on the lineup. Right. There, alt show, there wasn't any. Right. There were no women that were getting up. There, right. there were funny women that could get up. Yeah. But were they booked? No. All white guys all the time. Totally. I Maybe mean, a black dude. Me and Beth Stelling, the only two women that were in the alt scene. And in Chicago. Beth wasn't really. I mean, there, there's a smaller, like, you can do clubs there and also do alt stuff. But right. Yeah. The there's only two more... women that were pursuing both things. Right. Me and okay. Beth. Literally, that's it. So that's crazy. I mean, because that's a huge. There's a huge stand-up scene there. Well, and I think that I am the begin. I I almost consider myself the beginning of this generation of black comedian that didn't have to have to do urban rooms. Yeah. When I think about the comedians I started out with, a lot of us never did urban rooms. Yeah. And then, but the comedians like like two years more than me had to. That's the place they could get stage time, and it was sort of like it was also a gauge and a test. It was a way to be hazed into the black comedy community. You have to do these rooms, get good at these rooms, then you will quote unquote cross over. Yeah. Cross over into the mainstream clubs right, right, right. with more integrated audiences. That's interesting though, thinking about that and what you're talking about, because I think you are right. I think you're like definitely at the, you know, start of having black dudes in the alt scene. Right. And now um, there's a there's a I think there's a lot of like you said, I'm noticing all the integration. There's a lot of black, like the life, but like there's a lot of black comics that came after me. Yeah. That they're, they're like the stars of the alt scene. Well, it's funny to think about Donald Glover, like doing alt comedy for a while and then releasing a hip hop album. That's maybe quasi a joke, but also not at all. Well, at you know first, what I mean? The, the early, early stuff was him having fun. Yeah. And then I think it turned more into him do, trying to do it very seriously. Yeah. I guess I just think that's like an interesting example of what you're talking about which is like you know starting wherever you want but then like being able to be whatever comic you are and and the people who were interested in alt comedy actually would be the same type of people that would buy like a hip-hop album these days 
regardless very of possibly color. yeah especially if it's like kind of nerdy underground stuff. yeah exactly heavily uh with lots of electronics beats <laughs> Some good electronic. I know about music, so that's why some I can beats, talk like this. Some fruity loops. Uh, I don't know anything about music, but um, oh, okay, all right. So you say electronics beats. You know what is? You know what doesn't have this at all yet is uh, gay rooms, like the because it's a really similar amount of segregation and like um, specific vibe, mm-hmm. like all black rooms and then all gay well, I spaces. Like what's weird? I feel like Los Angeles more than any other city has a really stark segregation where the fuck are the gays yeah there are gay rooms i know that only gay people know about yeah and there's only gay comics i only know of one because i know one of the comics that i knew from new york yeah and she does all sorts of rooms so different so it's not only gay comedians even though it's a gay bar well i think it's all over the place i mean it happens in new york and it happens in chicago and it happens like there's like gay comedy cruises and like mm. all that stuff. Like there's festivals and stuff that you can play, but it's interesting because like becoming big in that scene is specifically means you will not do become, other stuff. become big in mainstream. Like there isn't uh, really like a huge crossover potential. Well, don't you play to your audience? Yeah. Because I think that's the problem is that like, it seems like the more popular you get, the more like, and I would say of, that was true of black rooms too. Yeah. Kevin I mean, Hart is the most sellingest comedian yeah. in the United States, but people in alt shows would never go see Kevin Hart. I mean, fair enough. That's a good I guess there I guess the maybe the interesting thing is like there isn't a Kevin Hart status for like a gay comic. Because there's like not enough gay people. So like, like those people that have been working out for twenty five years that are like the top of their games, who are actually also really good comics. I'm trying to think of some people. Suzanne Westenhofer. Yeah, or like Kate Clinton was Kate one Clinton, of them. Elvira Kurt. Yeah. Um, God, what's that guy? Would you mind passing the potatoes to a homosexual? Do you know that joke? Oh. It's like I came out to my parents in the strangest way. Oh. During Christmas dinner, I said, would you mind I... passing the potatoes to a homosexual? <laughs> I don't know that joke. Oh, That's man. Really it's one of these. Oh, he's like a comic from the 90s. He's still around. Or like Karen Williams. Do you have any idea who that is? Mm-mm. So she is a Julie of... Goldman. Yes. Julie Goldman. Yes. Julie Goldman, not to be confused with Judy, Judy Gold. Goldman. Yes. Or yes. Julie Gold. Yes. yes. But continue. Uh, no, Karen Williams is like, uh, came up in like the 70s and 80s and uh black woman in san francisco she's like a gay buddhist like all of this and she was she was like contemporaries with kate clinton and they they were really really popular and karen lives in cleveland now and like still is like a hero still doing stand-up though like i opened for her at jokes and notes and she sold out like this you know like like a 300 person show and i mean she but she never figured out how to because she started at that time and she was like one of the first openly lesbian comics and mm. then and also black it's like where was she there wasn't like a space for her to easily just like pop into so she just right. kept doing it but like didn't really gain the steam and stuff under her. so she like still performs at like festivals or cruise ships and stuff like that and it's just an interesting path because yeah. it's like who else bruce smith yeah Yes, he used Bruce to open Smith. for Cho a lot. Yeah. Oh, I think that he runs the show that oh, I'm talking Bruce, about. Oh, Bruce Daniels is who you're talking Bruce about. Bruce Daniels. Bruce Smith is... No, Bob Smith is somebody else. That's well, the guy that has the would you mind passing okay. potatoes to a homosexual. That's Bob but Smith. Bruce Daniels is very funny. And Bruce he Daniels. doesn't really play. Man. 
And he doesn't really play alt rooms at all. Right. Anyway, I know now we're just naming names, but my point is there's a really huge difference. D- not difference, but defining line. Well, here's the thing. Claudia Kogan, who you yes. know, who's a friend of mine, one of my uh, good friends who I miss because she moved back to New York. She – we had to talk about this briefly once because she doesn't really play a lot of gay rooms. Yes. Because she doesn't have a lot of gay material. Right. And she – I remember her telling me about doing some – like a weekend at Provincetown. Yes. And just bombing every single night. Yeah. Because at the time, she didn't have any jokes really about being gay or any gay lifestyles lifestyle jokes so anything that she was talking about they were like why aren't you talking about being gay well the other thing is and i actually know that tour that she went on because oh, really? i went a different weekend um on that same uh tour in Provincetown. and what i would say about it is like i guess the reason it's funny is because i hope that this is now changing but like gay used to mean such a different thing it had to kind of mean like you go off to a different place and like you don't have a f- necessarily like a long-term partner it's very like it's a segregated group of people in an isolated place in the city and they're kind of dating forever. And um, so like Provincetown is, it's like spring break. Yeah. And that's, I think the hard thing about a lot of gay rooms is that they're, it's like going out for, for gays of a certain age kind of means like partying, like partying. And as you know, you never actually want to do stand up comedy in the middle of a party. You just want everybody to shut up so you can tell your jokes. So anyway, I think there are more gay people in audiences and alt rooms now, but I still think like there's uh, further to go to kind of make the scenes come closer together. Because there's like, it's just like if you're a gay comic, that's that means something completely. Like you basically don't even do stand up. You are like a party wrangler because it's just like such a different oh, right. vibe in those rooms. I would say the same thing for certain black rooms. Yeah, totally. You know, especially if you're the fucking MC. Like, it's a whole sort of thing where it's just kind of like, uh, you know, and I've gone to black rooms just to watch a show or to hang out with some comics that I knew. But I've I have put the fear of God in myself because of the two times that I've gone up in a black room. I just got stared at like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? So do you think that that you're... I think I'm more equipped now to handle it than ever? And I was going to ask, like, also, do you think that your viewpoint of being because you're also like. I mean, you you have dark skin. Like, there's not a, there's no, like... Gee, thanks. What I mean is, like, there's no, like, there's no confusing whether or not you're a black dude. <laughs> okay. And I guess what I'm saying is, like, there is a huge value to you being in the world It's and and telling jokes and talking about your experience. Because what you're saying is, like, you know, you read as a black dude, but you also don't necessarily know if you have the experiences that you think people imagine you do just because of how you physically look you do have those experiences i do have those experiences but i'm not that interested in talking about them what are you interested because they've been fucking worn out oh do you know what i'm saying oh so you feel like your experience has like been tread over too much tread over too much to the point that that talking about things that i grew up with or literally happened to me is hack Huh. It's hack for a black comic to talk about that stuff because that's what black comics talk about. Wow, that is. What a- am I going to talk about? Growing up poor in a neighborhood where there was drive-bys. But I mean, if you're talking about that and it's coming out of your mouth, I, I guess this is what I'm saying. Like, maybe we've heard other 
similar. I mean, there's no, there's nothing new under the sun. So somebody's gonna always have talked about everything. Yeah, but, but like, it's just sort of like it, it, it's almost, it's the, it's the urban equivalent of talking about airplane food. Like you can still talk <laughs> about it, but it's like it was a freaking territory that has been so tread over that there are certain things that it's just like if you're a black person. You're expected to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, but I guess... and I'm and I don't want to because it's like then I feel like I'm giving into or just like <laughs> oh, and I'll wow. and I'll talk about it. I've, I've talked about it at times, but then also in the alt rooms, uh, people get sad. I get I always get there's always a white woman in the second row that goes ah out loud, and it kills anything that I start trying to do. But you have a great bit that's about like why you have a big vocabulary and why you talk the way you do and why you like are interested in performing. And it's like, because you were creating a diversion from the fact that you were dorky in, in your mind, in, like, in a neighborhood, in a where, neighborhood like, where that was not a tough thing. Yes. Yeah. So, and and that's true. And so, I mean, that's a stretch of like putting an older, I mean, a, yeah, yeah I, that's, like why, newer... that's why I wrote it. Cause I'm like, well, okay, I can talk about this. This is sort of like, I am not, uh, and see, and maybe the thing, problem, my problem is how much I think about this. It's like as, I think, as, as, first as a blockade. Of all, I know you, and I know you think about everything in a, in a, in a lot, in a lot of ways. Yeah, You're a yeah. thinker, so yes, could be the thinking. <laughs> should I put my head, my yeah. forehead on my fist <laughs> yes, here? Yes, you should. Okay, but um, I don't know. I mean, what else do you think you would talk about if you if you weren't? There's a lot of self conscious about it. There's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. I mean, I I do want to talk about. I guess the thing is. I have a really big mental block about autobiographical material, about things that happened in my childhood, because when I th- all my childhood is basically, we were in a rough neighborhood. I, I I'm trying to write more stuff about it because I'm trying to find the stuff in it that's funny. Because most of the time it just sounds sad or tragic, or I'm sensitive to the fact that it might sound like that. But I know there's funny in there. But since I tend to traffic in the conceptual. If I start to get autobiographical and dark in the same set, it's sort of a different wavelength sometimes. It's 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 easier for people to come with me on ideas if all I'm talking about is ideas the entire time. But when I'm like, well, here's a, a real thing that happened to me, which I'm trying to tell more stories, you know, and trying to reveal my opinions through experiences that I've had. Like, oh, this is the time that I learned this about life, you know? But it's – I have a big mental block about all that time because – it's all kind of my mother is a recovering alcoholic, right? She's been sober for over a decade. So when I think about my childhood, it's being alone with a drunk mother. And it starts to get like and I feel like the stuff that people go for and that kind of stuff, it's not it's it's too jokey. Cuz yeah. I don't want to make light of it, especially because because of my mother's sobriety, sobriety we have a fantastic relationship. So we made it on the end. So there's a part of me that doesn't want to drag that stuff up out of respect to her. Well, I totally get that. That we we healed. We made it through it. Yeah. I don't need to obsess about it. It happened. It sucked when it happened. But I don't hold it against her anymore. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I do. I mean, I think what you're talking about is something that, like, every comic struggles with, which is, I mean, if we everybody's like processing terrible things that happened to them and and like you know specifically like familial hurts i think is a huge one because 
I mean, I have a great relationship with my parents. Wait a minute. That's got to be the name of your album. Familial Hurts. Familiar. Cameron Esposito, Familial Hurts. <laughs> I have a great relationship with my parents and a great relationship with my sisters. And also, of course, it's like they're the most challenging relationships in my life. And they always haven't been wonderful to me um, in terms of like the details, the the like minute ways in which we can hurt our kids accidentally. And then if you add to that, I mean... Um, Without, like, stealing somebody else's story to tell, but, like, Rhea, who you know, who is my girlfriend, uh, Rhea Butcher, who's also a comic, she had, um, like, a like a slightly more unstable family life than, like, mine was, like, hurts that are, that happen within stability, and it sounds like yours, and then Rhea kind of had that in common, it's like, that was, like, Oh, there were actually some like unstable things happening. Right. That now as an adult, you know, I'm trying to work through and it feels like it there's a chance it could be unfair to talk about some of those things when like there actually was like something cuz I don't I don't know there's, I don't like, wanna... two different things going on cuz one is like do you throw your parents under the bus in general and then right. the other one is like and what if they have like some something even bigger that's you know that's like so intense like kind of what you're talking about is Well, and that's the thing is just kind of like if I'm going to talk about these things, I want to talk about them with respect yeah, and find the things in there that are truthful and funny without without throwing everything under the bus. Yeah, absolutely. And just being like, right, <laughs> like for an easy joke. And I haven't cracked how to do that. I think that's so tough. And I especially like you're saying if you're working on it, like if it's a relationship you could just throw away. Yeah. You know, then I think because I think some comics deal with it that way, like they just don't necessarily have great relationships but if you have a good relationship with your mom and you're like have worked through these things it is intense to but but then the other thing to think about is that there's like people in the audience who've been through what you've been through there there are but i wonder how many of them there are in the quote-unquote alt scene i don't know because also and here's the other thing cameron it's like i don't um i guess i take the idea that I'm an entertainer a little bit more seriously than I think I do. Mm. Meaning that I do want to be challenging and I do want to be vulnerable, but make them laugh. But by, by all means, I'm so sensitive to coming off as preachy because you, you, anyone who's listening to my podcast knows I got a lot of fucking opinions and I got, I can preach. Right. But I don't want to be preachy on stage necessarily especially without the without punchlines so i guess i'm i'm sensitive to the fact that people came to laugh and have a good time so sure i can push them and i can challenge their ideas but when they paid for a ticket and they want to maybe escape and i don't think that all entertainment should be escapism but i know that some people came there for escapism the majority of people came for escapism i feel like it's the interesting thing that's happening now though is that and I totally understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I think that what is interesting is that for the first time ever, whether or not you choose to do this, comics actually can have an audience based off of um, like talking about reality in a way that is challenging consistently, always. Maria Bamford has a huge fan base and a successful career based on the consistency of her like vulnerable, challenging stuff so i guess i'm saying like that's the personal choices that, but she but I think also it, she also wasn't maybe 
wasn't necessarily ready to work the road when she started working it. Yeah, totally. And she had to kind of retrain herself as a comic. When she went out, she was like, wait a minute. This club thing is different than what I've been doing. And she figured that shit out. Yeah. And your end put those two things together totally because she's a smart lady yeah i mean we always have to work on the other side of what we're doing right Right. so if you're like that really ultimately vulnerable person then you're gonna have to work on like little tricks that keep people on board you know like because she has a couple she does have like throw away you know um just evergreen funny jokes that are always always gonna work that you know she like could be popped into a set Before TiVo, watching TV was weirdly hard. You could only watch a show at a certain time. And if you missed it, or even part of it, you literally had to wait for it to go into reruns before you could see it again. TiVo totally changed all that. And while other DVRs still exist, they're not as sickalicious as TiVo. Because if you have cable, TiVo lets you watch your shows wherever you want. With TiVo Stream, you can watch on your iPad all over your house, and even transfer your favorite recordings and take them with you. On an airplane, waiting in line at the DMV, dentists, office. TiVo makes other DVRs look like they were designed by some Soviet committee. Only TiVo searches both cable and the web to find any movie, any show, any video at the press of a button. Netflix, Hulu Plus, Amazon, YouTube. Now those are just like more channels in your TV. And with the TiVo Mini, one TiVo box works on a second TV. From the couch to the kitchen, from the minivan to 35,000 feet, TiVo makes TV about a thousand times better. So we are back. We had to take a little break so my friends could uh, leave. I had friends staying with me, and they had to get their crap and uh, go. And now they're on the road back to Vegas. And maybe they'll listen to this podcast and be like, they're talking about us. Hooray. They were nice. They're very nice girls. But we were on, when we last when we last left, when Cameron we last and left, Baron, yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about. Like most boring. I mean, this has been a great conversation, but. For, like, television. When we last left Cameron Barrett, they were just looking directly at each other, talking about their feelings. Talking about their feelings. <laughs> uh, it's, much, it's, it's more informational than the next week on Mad Men yeah. preview, at least. <laughs> what are you talking about? Who's there? Why are you here? I didn't want Nothing. that. And then it's over. It's like, what? What do all those words mean? Um, anyway. So, oh, there's the church bell. Nice. Probably is not showing up on the podcast. Um, when we were when we last left, we were talking about uh, well, you, we were talking about Bamford, and we were just talking about developing an act uh, in which, if you stay challenging consistently, that people will come to you. Yes, is the thesis that you throw out. I think it's possible now. I I, I believe in that as well, and uh, and that is also a reason that I started this podcast to find who out who the fuck it is out there that enjoys what I do. <laughs> This is it, awesome. it is yeah, no, exactly. it's a comedic cry for help. No, that's not what that means. To find no, I'm saying people. who's there? Should I keep doing this, audience? <laughs> who's listening to me? Come to my shows, please, God. Yes. Okay. Well, how's it going so far? What's I have your... no fucking idea. Okay. Uh, no, I've had a couple people from, from show up. When I was in Seattle uh, a couple months ago, I had a couple people show up that listened to the podcast and wrote me emails afterwards. Yeah, that's right. And if you listen to this podcast and you run into me, you should say hi. Especially if it's on the road and that you listen to it, and then I'll try to do something uh, unique that you'll never forget. You it, know, oh, what was what's it going to be? Uh, it's going to involve their knees oh, and a hypodermic needle. Shit, that sounds stressful. <laughs> uh, you should avoid that if you can. Um, knee pads is what I'd recommend. Oh, I was going to say mm-hmm. that you were just mentioning to your friends 
uh, Put Your Hands Together, yes. which is the podcast that I do that's stand-up. But I was just going to say that last weekend I was home in Chicago doing some shows. and Yeah, we were at the I, uh, Just for Laughs yes, Comedy Festival. at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. I didn't actually know that uh, comics listened. No, to Put Your Hands had, Together? Yeah. So nobody had told me that, like, I've gotten uh, fe- listener feedback from, like, a bunch of humans, actually. Like, it's been really great. Real people, not yes, comedians. Yes, yes. A bunch of humans, yes. But um, it was rad. It was a really cool discovery to find out that, like, a big portion of the Chicago comedy community listens. Because I think moving out here, it's just kind of felt like maybe, I don't know. Like, everybody moves on. Of course you do. Like, you know, the scene just moves on. Nobody's sitting there like, man, this show would have been perfect for Cameron. She was just here. Well, hold the show. Hold the show till she's back, you know. So it was really a cool moment. Because all these, like, newer comics and, uh, like, less old career-wise comics were coming up to me and being like, oh, man, I really like the episode that this person was on. I really like this dude. I really like this chick. Oh, that was rad. I was surprised. And I think for comedians, it, it's, you know, and I, I, I have said this, and I, it kind of applies to what it is that we've been talking about, that I think your podcast, Put Your Hands Together, is retraining people at UCB to watch stand-up. Yeah, totally. Because, no, not to, I'm not, I don't mean to disparage comedy, bang, bang, nie, comedy, death ray, but it was a very specific style of show. He cultivated it in a very specific way, and the comedians that he had on kind of fit into a very specific canon a lot of times. And he would break out of that here and there, of course. But you are an active stand-up comedian going to all sorts of shows, seeing all different kinds of comedians of different styles and experience levels that you are being like, I want you to be on my show. And you mix it up and you book it in a way in which every single show is kind of a unique variance of stand-up. So, yeah, that thank you. That's a really nice compliment. But also the other thing I would say is, like, it's wild to feel – I mean, so I've been here only nine months. But, like, I can't believe I have – It's time to birth this comedy, baby. Well, I, yeah, I can't believe I <laughs> know enough people to, like, even have many people to think of mm-hmm. every week for booking that show. And we don't get too many repeats. Um what I was going to say is, like, it's rad to then go back to an entirely different scene with, like, an entirely different group of people and just realize that it's actually – because I think especially in Chicago, there's a it's, like, a thriving scene, mm-hmm. but it's not – I think New York and L.A., there's a little bit more of, like, a transfer. Like, people are constantly spending time either place. Mm-hmm. But in Chicago, like, there's just – I don't know. I feel like I came on here. I didn't know – and I'm really paying attention. Like I'm somebody who's like always pretty much paying attention. But I still didn't know who most people were mm. in terms of like I didn't know their stand up or like I didn't know what other shows they ran or like you know. And it's nice to be able to understand a scene a little bit and figure <laughs> out like who like what's hey what's going on here? What are right. the things that are going on here? I think it makes it like a little bit more accessible to everybody in the whole country because there's like such an interesting thing going on in LA right now. I think so. I think that it has to do with the fact that. Um, the scene, scene, the, especially the alt scene, is getting more integrated. Yeah. That there are, are all these underground shows in L.A. I mean, historically, the thing to say about L.A. is there's not enough stage time. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, if you only do the clubs, there's not enough stage time. But there's clubs and there's all these fucking – and I have no ego about what show I will and won't do because every now and then I find a gem. 
that I'm like, no one knows about the show. Yeah. It is packed with comedians I like, with an audience that are like, who the fuck are these people in Venice that came right. to this totally. fucking show? Or Playa del Rey or um, wherever the fuck, you know? So it's like, I think it's interesting to find those places, but I feel like there's more do-it-yourself shows in L.A. than there's ever been. Well, I think that we are starting to be in the midst of the alt comedy boom. It's a new, it's the 80s. Again, but with less blazers and more jean jackets. Mm, blazers are on a comeback. <laughs> blazers are on a comeback. Especially when there's a jean jacket over the blazer. Yeah, yes. I just feel like it's it's wild what's happening here right now. Like, I feel like we're, like, just at the, because the people who really started alt comedy. The first wave, I call them. Yeah, the first wave. Like, those people are all here. They're still active. Like, they're still around. You can still see them. They're still at shows. And then. All those new shows that you're talking about are cropped up, have cropped up. And then also uh, Meltdown, which is a local show here, is going to have its own television show. show. And that, I think, says something about, like, where people are looking in terms of talent and, like, what kind of skills you have to you need to have as a comic these days. I mean, even uh, Mark Maron getting his television show show. says a lot about what kind of skills you need to be, like, pursuing and honing and stuff to be a comic now. It's such a different skill set. But exactly. it's also like the industry is now starting to pay attention to this other skill set and then reward that. And like, because that's where the audience is. You got to do it all. You got to do it all. Does that stress you out? Yeah. Yeah, it does stress me out. Incredibly, it stresses me out. I just did Greg Fitzsimmons' podcast, Fitz Dog Radio. And at length, I talked about these insane financial problems that I have. And I have been talking about them on stage, as you know, and it's really the first time I've ever had I've ever talked about something that's going on with me that isn't finished. Mm. Usually I will let something will pass. I'll have processed it and then I can talk about it on stage because I know how I feel about the events. There's a discernible ending, a point, a lesson to be learned. In this particular case, I haven't learned any lesson. I'm sitting in the stress of it. I got an email from Nikki Glazer. You know Nikki Glazer at all? Yeah, sure. So she she said that that's her favorite podcast. She said it was like listening to herself when I was talking about all this stuff. And it's just like this money stress, this freaking weight on my shoulders just it weighs on me in such a to such an extent that I feel I can't do anything else. Like it's oh, like man. I want to write jokes. Um, but I don't have a car because I owe $3,000 in tickets and I need to call this lawyer in Boston that's suing me because of the defaulted student loan I have from college. So what are you going to do? I don't know. That's the thing. Or it's just kind of like, I do not have that money. Yeah. You know, so I can call them and work out a payment plan, but I don't even have the money to work out a payment plan with. I'll be like, I'll be able to give you $10 in three months. Oh, right. Otherwise, otherwise, any money I'm getting is going to be spent on eating and keeping these my lights and power on. So you feel like career-wise you're kind of crushed under that right now? Yeah, and I feel like I'm uh, – it, it, it's funny too because it's like I have sat on such on this shit for so long that it's like I need lump sums to solve the problems, right? But – it started right at the beginning of me finally being like, you know what? I'm a fucking adult. 
I need to handle this shit. I need to track all these people down, figure out what I owe, who I owe it to, figure out how to do it. And as I was in that mindset, it's when it started to kind of be like, we're towing your car and we're suing you. So it's like, son of a bitch. It kind of all happened at the same yeah. time. Yeah, And it was when you were going out to try and finally take charge of it. Yeah. I had come to the mindset in the first time in my life of taking charge of this shit. And then it like kind of blew up in a way. I'm like, I can't take charge of this. Well, maybe then that's an okay place to be in. I know that that sucks, that feeling, but just to know that. But that's the thing. I feel like this looming, it's a looming monster. Uh, that's terrible. You know, that's just kind of always been there for a long time. And it's always been on my mind and it's always been a stress. And because I have failed to reconcile that with myself and to solve or at least address these problems, you know, I'm like, I feel like, uh, it, and it just points to the fact that it's hard for me to get my shit together. Yeah, but this is more than that because, yes, it's hard for you to get your shit together. But it's also, I think, another thing, and this is really going off of what we're talking about, which mm -hmm. is that. So it's rad right now in comedy. Like, you can do a million shows, and you can have your own voice, and you can have a podcast, and you can be a name that people recognize, and you can have a Comedy Central half hour, and all the things that have happened for you recently. And I mean, it doesn't, that does not translate into dollars. <laughs> no, it does this not. job, so it's the, it's the comedy boom of the 80s, coupled with none of the financial reward, because all of those clubs cropped up. They didn't have enough comics. It was like a great payday to be a stand-up and now it's so democratized that you can find your people like you can find your audience and they're gonna love you and like you know they might even you might have a shit ton of listeners to your show or like people come see you live and all that stuff but this is not a career where early in your life you can find financial stability and my friend carrie who was just here who i didn't get to see much this week while she came to visit you know, she has other friends in L.A., so it wasn't a problem. But it's like I came back from Chicago. I overbooked myself. Yeah. I really did. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I just felt like I have been on a, a jag, like a writing jag, and I need a lot of stage time because there's stuff that's starting to come to life. And I was like, I need to keep this momentum going. But then I overdid it. I did a set every single night this week. I did one set Monday, three Tuesday, two Wednesday, two Friday, no, two Thursday. Two Friday, two Saturday, and one tonight. And or one Saturday. There's been times like in Chicago and I think in New York, I think there's a there can be a real reward to that because like it'll lead somewhere kind of immediately. Because yeah. there because it's a little it's a more of a stage focused career there. Well then also in New York you get paid per spot. Yeah, you're getting so, so you're my getting, friend Carrie just found out that Los Angeles spots do not pay. Right. But, so you're getting paid per spot, so at least you're making like, you know, Stuff to line your pockets with, which yeah. is true in Chicago too. You can get paid for a spot. I mean, it's not, you're not going to get a million dollars, but I was. If I would have done 11 spots in different clubs and shit in New mm -hmm. York this week, yeah. I would have probably made like somewhere between six to $800 just from doing all those spots. Right. So you're coming home with that. And that, I mean, I was absolutely subsidizing my income with that, that just like accumulating change. Which does not exist here. Does not exist. Clubs in LA do not pay historically. And not just Co court that. case of that. Yeah, not just that. There's also nothing really to build to here. I, what I mean is like, so you got all those bookings, you did all those shows, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to do those same shows the next week, or that that club is going to immediately invite you back, and then you're gonna like it's just a, 
because um, it's just not a stage-focused city. Everybody's kind of working on live Everything performance else. with, yeah, as yeah. it fits into the rest of their thing. So, I mean, I, I've had weeks like that out here, but I just wonder if it, I got done and I was like, wow, the weird thing about that is that, like, you're then you're just done. Like, there's not like a, and now it's just like, okay, well, I'm done with that for a while. And then, anyway. Yeah. And it's, I'm just like, well, I got a couple hundred dollars. Uh, I believe, I, I believe I have my rent for next month. August starts to get a little hazy, but August is when I start to have road gigs. Yeah. Even though they're not the most incredibly paying ones, but they'll get me through August. So we'll see. And that's just kind of where it is. I did not see. That's the, that's the thing it, to me. It all points towards a general lack of organization. <laughs> but do you really think that's true? Like if you had gotten, if you had the income that you've had, Mm -hmm. Up until this point in your career, and you just spent it differently. Do you think that your life would be different? I don't know. And meanwhile, you have to manage everything else of being a comic while you're trying to make better choices. Like, you still have to kind of live a weird life. Like, you're trying to make good financial choices amidst this Yeah, weird and life. then, like, the, the option of you should just get a job literally doesn't exist. Yeah, that's not a thing. I have no skill set but this. Well, not only that, like... You can't be at the level that you're at and then get a job and then keep doing stand-up because you have to be able to be doing headlining weeks. You can't have like a nine-to-five job that, hey, guys, I have to go to. Like unless you could, I were you to could like, dabble. Yeah, unless I were to land like a writing job or something, yeah. which is I think the, the time for that has passed. Plus, I have to write something <laughs> <laughs> to apply. Like the stuff that I've written is too old to apply for that stuff. So I have to write something new. Yeah. And I just have to do it in the midst of trying to do everything I can to get some money right now. Well, I totally, I actually really get this as well. I mean, I don't, I will say I had saved up a bunch of money and to, before you moved here, you mean? Yeah. And then also on top of that, I was, um, in this, like I was hit by a car. I was in this huge car accident, I was right. hit by a car on my bike. And I came out here with like a little bit of extra because I had to take this person to court in order to make sure that they would pay my medical bills because their insurance company refused to do it, even though um, the woman admitted it was her fault. But I mean, my point is I had like this crazy astronomical medical bills, like $50,000 in medical bills from like one day. And then also like a bunch of other follow-up appointments and stuff. And like, anyway, my point is, I got the paid for, which was rad. Right. Um, and you weren't expecting that it would work I out. I wasn't expecting that it would work out. Like, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, my you God, now I'm actually frickin', fucked. Yeah. Actually, now. You were up against a corporation yeah. that can afford lawyers. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I came out here, like, feeling debt-free and pretty rad. And uh, now all the, like, savings, everything is dwindling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to figure out what to do. And I'm very curious as to what that'll be. Because I don't know yet what it'll be. Um, but I do hope that it is something Creative. in the industry. Like I, do, <laughs> yeah. I do hope that it's something that helps me grow a skill set that, that I don't have yet. Because it's not going to be constantly doing road work. Um, 
Although I do have like some road stuff coming up too, but it's going to, I don't think you can like, like what's the point of living in LA if you're constantly on the road, I guess is the other thing. Yeah. That would make sense if I was still in Chicago. That doesn't make sense if you're moved your entire self out here and then you're never here for auditions or to meet folks. Run your own show. True that. We'll see. We're going to be okay. I believe that. (laughs) It's just getting to the point where you're okay. You can see it. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you're sick, you get better. But you still got to be sick. No. You still got to be like feel like shit and have your sore throat and your headache and your achy stomach or whatever the hell it is that people feel when they're sick. You know you're going to get better at some point, hopefully. But when you know it's just like a cold or flu that you're going to get over it, there's still – you still have to live inside of every single moment where you have that flu. Do you feel like you should be further along in terms of – like financially than you are do you have any guilt about that definitely because i have a lot of guilt about that not like guilt but just like i can't believe it sometimes because i actually feel like i'm okay like i've been i've been getting by with like nothing for so long i'm really stretching it and like i was a nanny for a while like i've just worked odd jobs and like mm-hmm. i mean because i had like a like after right after school right after college i had like a career path that i thought i was going to follow and then right. i like abandoned that and then ever since then, it's been like odd jobs and stuff. And um, anyway, I think that sometimes I forget how long it's been that I've been doing comedy and odd jobs. And then I only will like pop into other people's lives who are like friends from college or high school who have like families and dogs and uh, babies, houses even. And I don't even understand like the idea of ever owning property. How do they do it? I have no. It's just like. I mean, and, and I we I grew up check the check, check the check is a it's a religion, it's a life philosophy. It's 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 a weed that has that has dug its roots in the parts of my life that I don't even understand. Just like it's connected to this, money is this thing, ephemeral thing. You'll never have enough. <laughs> there is no such thing as enough. But whatever you have. You're always going to owe twice that much to anyone else. Wow. That's just kind of how I look at it. Yeah. So it's just like when I have money, I'm like, well, I got money and I'm not going to have it. So I might as well spend it on my terms. <laughs> oh, wow. Before, before someone just takes it from me. You know, that's why it's an, that's why there's an entire industry of fixing people's financial problems. There's a <laughs> lot of money in fixing financial problems. Huh. So you still feel like you're, in some ways, living that life that you grew up? Yeah, and I and I got here, and I was on a TV show, and I I was making, I was making money, most money I've ever made in my life. But I have been in debt for 15 years. Right. So as my joke goes, my money has been traveling through time. This like I was yeah. paying for my life now, and a guy who's 18, right, who's named Baron Vaughn, and 23 and 27. So it's like it's going back. It's going so far back in time. I don't think it's making it back to the future, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, but I locked myself into certain things that I didn't think certain expenses or comforts that I didn't think were extravagant. I still don't think they're extravagant. Like what? Like this TV behind you. It's a nice TV, but it's not like crazy. Yeah. You know, I bought a nice bed and I have like a nice car. 
Did I get the craziest car ever? No. I got the most affordable luxury car I could get. <laughs> because and also be, and mostly because I I was like I want an Audi. And I was like that's stupid. They're expensive. And then I did some research. So I was like, I should buy a car that's good for the environment, blah, blah, blah. I was looking at Priuses and shit. And then I saw that this particular Audi won the Green Car of the Year Award. Of that's 2000. the one. Yeah. And I was like, let me look at this one a little bit more. Hmm, it's actually not that expensive. Blah, blah, blah. I could probably do this. But I didn't go and fucking get a Porsche or a Ferrari, you know. But it's like it's an expensive car and I have to pay like a big monthly payment because I have shit credit. So they asked for a lot of money up front, which I had, and a lot of money every single month, yeah, which I did have. And so it's like – I was like, okay, I'm just going to live okay. I'm not going to live crazy. I was like living in a one-bedroom apartment with an okay bed, an okay car, and an okay TV doesn't seem that crazy. I know what you mean. But, but like then it's – yeah, fuck, man. But now I'm back to less money than I, than I had when I was 25. So it's just kind of like, and I have three times as much as I had when I was 25, especially because I'm paying all of the bills by myself. Not a third. Not a third to my roommate whose name, it's in her name. And if I don't have it the day it's due, she's like, it's cool. If you get it to me like in a week, it'll be fine. I'm like, cool. And I got it to her in a week. <laughs> but now it's just kind of like, not the first $25 late fee. Ding on your credit. How do you think of that? What do you think about that wow. shit? Wow. Brofa. But that's intense. It's intense, and I and I and I I try as hard as I can not to feel under it. That's the hard part: the not the the feeling like a victim, making myself a victim, feeling victimized, and feeling like I don't see any discernible way that I'm going to get out of this hole. Right now, but I mean, it could also change at any moment. But and that drives me fucking crazy, because I don't know when that moment will happen, or if it'll ever happen. Well, if it does happen, maybe something, maybe this is like the experience that will help you to realize to save some of that that comes in, because this is always going to be your job. You know what I mean, Cameron? I made the gamble. No, that I, and I don't. Necessarily, I was going to get a third like, season on this TV like I show. Said, I mean, and you're right. Was, you didn't like. You didn't buy a house, so you're right. But I just think like. But I was going to save. Like when that third season happened, I was like, I'm going to save. It was going to be the money season. I was going to be able to get out of debt, fully out of debt, pay all of my student loans to zero. Yeah. And save a lot of that money, because I didn't think we would have a fourth. I was like, we'll get a third season, but not a fourth. That's how I saw it. Didn't happen. I was like, oh. and then they took seven months to make that call while I sat here doing nothing because I could make no money. I was under contract. I couldn't do another TV show. And because of the, the time frame, I couldn't book clubs because I had to cancel all these clubs because they moved the, the second season production back into this place where I had all these club bookings and then I had to cancel like 12 bookings. And then I got pushed back a year in the rotation, all those clubs. And I just sat here for like seven months like I can't even get a club. So this is, I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that this isn't a special circumstance. I guess what I'm saying is that like I think this is actually the job. Like what you're describing I actually think is what it feels like maybe forever. God, I hope that's not true. But you know what I mean? Like, well, but now this is like, the... like, 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 like 
betting both sides. Yeah. Being, we're learning how to be better at betting both sides. And this is if the first, the, if it's possible to even do that. But this is the first time that this has happened to of me. Of course, yeah. And and I love how sure everyone is and incredulous about how did, how did I not plan how have I not planned for the unplannable? No, that's not what I'm saying. There's a, no, not you. I'm okay. saying that a lot of people have given me that like you should have known that things are unpredictable and you should have hoarded and conserved. But it's just like it's easy for you to say that because you literally have not been through this situation. But now that I've been through this situation, I, I know now there will be long fucking periods of time where I'm just sitting and can't do shit. And I just – I think this is not just your – I guess what I'm saying is that I don't think you're the only person that has no, been I'm affected not. by this. In I'm terms not. of like I actually – you know, when I think – now that you're describing this to me and then I think back to like the autobiographies I've read or the – just like people telling their own story who are – much older than you and I are, who are talking about like the highs and lows, and I think some of those highs and lows are not financial, but I also think that a lot of them are. Yeah, and I I realize that this is not original <laughs> or or unique. No, that's not I... no, no, no. But but it's it's yeah. it's different to know that that it that this isn't just a Baron Vaughn situation. Like this has happened to other actors. This is part of the job. Yeah, this happens every single year to lots of different yes. people that are in this industry. But I didn't know that this is what it's like. I had heard that, but I didn't understand it. And now I understand it. Now I'm like, ha, 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 this is what everyone's been talking about. Right. And I, luckily, I have laid the groundwork for over a decade of having bullshit and being financially in dire straits anyway. So it's like I already had laid this groundwork that is also biting me in the ass. So it's just like. My 18-year-old self was just like, I'm going to fuck me up at 32, bro. Yeah, but thank God you also have the TV credits and the work history to support you going back out on the road. Because I I know that this also could have happened to you, and you could have not had those things. Right. So one thing I'm happy for as somebody that cares about you is that, like, the good news is you can make money doing this job, talking into a microphone. You actually can't make money here. In L.A. doing it, as we said earlier. No. But in between, you know. But it also goes back to what you said a little earlier, which is that. Um... Oh, I totally forgot it. Totally lost it. <laughs> totally lost it. I had it, too. It was a good one. Oh, oh no. Man. It was just something about um, son of a bitch planning. No, nope, that's not what it was about. Could have been anything. Could have been about anything. That I have the uh, oh I know what it is. You said something about uh, almost just like there's like there's nothing to build toward. So me at 25, it was like I'm gonna get to this place, and now I'm like, aren't I supposed to be there? I'm there. This is there. Yeah. Yes. I have. Uh, I just had a comedy central central special on television. I know, man. I have negative seventy eight dollars in my bank account. Yeah, this. <laughs> Welcome to the life, career listeners. I guess that's just. Well, I'm gonna. First of all, I'm gonna go on a date in just a minute. You gotta go. Um, but second of all, I want to say that. I actually feel like I learned. Not fi- like not myself personally, but well, okay. So I was in Chicago and I was like planning to make the move, and I was thinking about like how different my life was going to be and how like how 
and then I started, um, you know, over a period of years working in Chicago, met like more and more of like, you know, air quotes, headliners that were coming through that I was working with and then continued to meet like headliners that were up, you know, further in the echelon of like comedy gods who've been doing it for this long and they have these credits and all that stuff. But I mean, they're still obviously if they're still working the road. You know, that's still right. like a helpful thing for them financially in some way um, or like they're working the road because they need to keep in connection with their fan base. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that it wasn't Ellen DeGeneres because that bitch doesn't need to do that. But anybody else besides her does. Uh, she's, not, she's got that good Nemo money that she can kind of sit on. <laughs> but uh, every time I would meet somebody, I felt like I would be like, I would just be looking at them just thinking like, here's where I'll be. And then I would start to talk to them about their lives. Like, and then I would realize, oh, it's just this still. Like, then you just realize like, oh, there's never another thing. It's always this. Okay, got it. Like, because, you know, like, it's always the same. It's then I watched that like after a bunch of like meeting all these like heroes and I watched that Joan Rivers documentary, like kind of at the capper at the end of a bunch of work with people that I really thought were rad. And, and I was it's her at like 85 or however old she was still just like getting up, getting on a plane, going to do. Oh, so it's always just this. It's always weird financial instability and career instability and not knowing where you are and. Unless you just get lucky, I guess. Yeah, but even... But even then, it's still you like know, you got to go forward. Yeah. Go forward. Even if you get lucky, you still have to make... You still might be lucky when you're 25, but it turns out you have to live the rest of your life. And that <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean you'll always be the yeah. hot young thing. You hear that, Justin Bieber? Yeah, that's right. you got to live the rest of your We're life. coming for you. That was Cameron Esposito, and I believe the message to leave with is Bieber, beware. We're coming for you, Bieber. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's that's literally the only Bieber song that I know, um, and I don't even know the full song. Anyway, guys, deep shit. Uh, all Things Comedy Network. Make sure to go check out all the great podcasts there. And um, also, uh, Dave Anthony, one of the people on the All Things podcast network in the podcast walking the room which is one of my favorite podcasts uh has an album called shame chamber so check that bullshit out <laughs> um also if you um missed my half hour special they're gonna be re-airing it on comedy central a lot if you don't have television uh check out the comedy central website uh, but if you actually want the full version of the special, it is up on iTunes, and you can buy it. I believe it's $3 for the HD, unedited version, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and then in August, watch out for me on uh, Craig motherfucking Ferguson, guys. Yeah. Craigie Ferg. Craigie Ferg now. Craigie Ferg. Craigie Ferg now. Craigie Ferg. Craigie Ferg now. Craig Ferguson, bitch. Um, anyway, uh, go, go do something. Bye-bye.